Oh, my friends, today we are talking about the company we keep. We're talking about mentors and those people that we choose to put in our lives. And I think one of the biggest distinctions that we need to be aware of as we study this is that just because someone is placed in your life as an authority figure or, or has some kind of influence over you does not mean that you have to choose them to be a mentor. We're going to look at that distinction this morning. So would you pray with me and we will study together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. And when we are faced with good opportunities to choose good mentors, help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. The Reverend Peg Ferguson was a female pastor. And I mention that because when I first met her, her being a female pastor was a really big, very unpleasant, unwanted deal for me. I was one semester into seminary with no plans of ever being a lead pastor and very unclear and uncertain as to whether or not women should ever be in ministry at all, period. We'd gotten to that point in the year when it was time to start looking and interviewing for summer residencies. And I was bound and determined to just find myself another youth ministry position. We often forget that's, that's where I started, was doing youth ministry, and be done with the whole thing. Except that Harry Ferguson, no relationship to Peg, the head of field education at Princeton Seminary, said no, that would not be happening. He said that I had plenty of experience in youth ministry and that I had to find something else. Well, it didn't take very long before he and I found ourselves at a complete and total impasse. And after a month of doing nothing towards finding a residency, Harry informed me that he had set up two interviews and I had better make it a point to be at both of them. Well, the first one was at Princeton Medical Center doing hospital chaplaincy. And I have to tell you that I think I did an amazing job at that interview. The female supervisor strongly disagreed. And I chalked it up to the fact that she was a female, so what could she possibly know anyway? <laughs> Harry turns around and sends me to Peg Ferguson at the Granite Presbyterian Church in Woodstock, Maryland, which coincidentally is about three miles from where I was born. The first thing that I noticed about Peg was that she was a female, and I found that very annoying. Her office looked like it had been decorated by a woman. I thought that was very ugly. Peg could not have been any nicer. In fact, she was too nice. She felt like a grandma. And as it happened, she was. Peg thought that we got along splendidly. I perceived our time together as semi-tolerable. She offered me the residency. Harry Ferguson told me I would be taking it. So, so I spent the summer of 2000 in a tiny little country church with a female pastor. On my second day on the job, Peg put me in her car and she took me to the local Christian supply store. 
she said that she had to buy me some shirts. Now, I have never, ever once been accused of being the height of fashion, but I never thought that I dressed that bad, and I told Peg so. But Peg said, you don't look bad, but you do look 22, and we've got to help people see past that. Well, I was certain at that point that that woman was out to destroy me. 45 minutes later, we emerged with three clergy shirts. Do you all know what clergy shirts are? Priests and, and, and the Catholic and the Episcopal Church wear them all the time. They have the little plastic tabs in, in the front. It's, it's like the announcement, hello, I'm pastor. Well, she, she bought me three of them in very pastel yellow, a very peachy pink color, and, and then some kind of ruby, sort of red color. The next stop was the local hospital, and she marched me right into the front desk and said that I needed to get myself a clergy ID. And these poor people took one look at me, still in my regular clothes, and did everything that they could not to burst out in laughter. Peg did not think it was funny at all. Well, then we went to lunch, and it was there that Peg told me that she was a second career pastor. She'd spent most of her adult life teaching elementary school. She had been married to an abusive alcoholic, gotten divorced, remarried, had two adult sons, and she talked about the shame that she had felt as a believer with a failed ma marriage and how Christ had led her into a deeper grace. Then she dropped the bomb on me that she had not gone to Princeton and instead gone to St. Mary's Seminary, which wasn't even a Presbyterian seminary. And in my very righteous 22-year-old mind, I was trying to determine what it is that I could possibly learn from a divorced and retired second-grade grandma who hadn't even gone to Princeton, which is clearly the only real seminary. Plus, the fact still remained that she was a female, and everybody knows that the best pastors are male. <laughs> didn't, didn't see that coming, Sonia. But, but on my very first Sunday with Peg, something happened that created a monumental shift in our relationship. I wore a dress to church. I wore a dress to church, and I have to tell you that I thought it was a pretty cute one. Peg did not say a word. We went into the office to put our robes on. I didn't own one yet, but Peg had a spare. And she handed me the robe, and she handed me a lavalier mic. You know what those are? They're the predecessors to the headsets. They're the ones that go on your lapel. And um, I was dumbfounded. Did not know what to do with this, because those mics and those mic packs are designed for men. They're meant to be slipped onto your belt loop or into 
a pocket, neither of which my dress had. So I'm standing there trying to figure out how to do this, and I'm, I'm really contemplating if I need to go find like a ribbon or something and tie it around my waist, and how is this going to work? And Peg's watching this, and she just hands me the robe, and she says, just, just put it on. And I did, and lo and behold, the robe had pockets. And we start walking into the sanctuary, and Peg says, if you're going to wear dresses, you better make sure that you get a robe with pockets. And that was the day that Reverend Peg Ferguson, female pastor, assigned supervisor, became my mentor. In Hebrews, we read, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Now, all of us are going to have mentors in, in our life, and we will get to choose the, those who actually mentor us. This is why I said to you, just because someone's in a place of authority in your life doesn't make them a mentor. Mentors are people that you choose. And so we need to choose wisely. And Hebrews says that we need to start by remembering those people whom we hold in high regard. Before everyone's life could be proudly displayed on social media and everybody had a virtual wall, teenagers everywhere had real walls in their bedrooms. And, and they would get magazines and they'd cut out pictures of these people that they really, really liked. These are the role models that Diane was talking about. And we lay there on our beds and we daydream of being just like them or dating them or whatever. Um, but we really had no idea what they were actually like. We just, we just knew that we liked them. So you start by remembering those people that, that you look up to, that you respect. But when it comes to those who mentor us in the faith, you want to remember those that spoke the word of God into us. Now, that could be a family member, but remember, just because their family doesn't always make them a good mentor. It could be a teacher. It could be a pastor. It could be, it could be someone that you have grown in relationship with over the years that has impacted your faith. But there is someone that each one of us will look to for guidance and wisdom. The next step, then, is to consider the outcome of their way of life. And this is really significant. This is a step that you do not want to skip over because it, it bears great importance on the person that you pick as a mentor. It's significant because anybody can say anything, and lots of people do. But if you don't, if what you do doesn't match up with what you say, then what you say doesn't matter all that much. A couple weeks ago, uh, one of you brought a friend to church, and this friend teaches at the high school that I graduated from. And she reported to me that the athletic director, who was the founding athletic director of my high school, was finally going to retire this year. So he's got 40 some years in the educational system. And I want to say right off the bat that Mr. Seski was always one of the nicest guys around. However, I would never want this man who is the athletic director 
to be my health coach or personal trainer. He obviously knows athletics and sports and physical education. He has coached football longer than I have been alive. But this man, who is the head of the physical education department at my high school, is the exact opposite of physical fitness. If this is where physical fitness is, he is standing somewhere at the back of Timber Creek. Exact opposite. He was and is an enormous man who is phenomenally out of shape. And he was so out of shape, and this, this drove my mother crazy, that he would make us run from the locker rooms out to the soccer fields while he got on the golf cart and rode along <laughs> beside us. Now, when one considers his way of life, while he is a very nice man and very knowledgeable, his outcome does not indicate that he is going to be the best mentor for physical health. Just because someone is nice and knowledgeable does not necessarily mean that they're going to be a good mentor, so you have to consider the outcome of their lives. If you run a small business and you look for a mentor, you may very well find one that failed a few times before they got it right, but you don't want one that never got it right. That's not helpful. And then once you find a mentor, Hebrews says, imitate them specifically in reference to their faith. What good is it to find a mentor, observe them, be taught by them, and then go do the complete opposite? It kind of defeats your purposes. In, in the movie Cars, and for those of you that don't have little ones, uh, Cars is a Disney movie, animated movie, there's uh, Lightning McQueen, he's the one in the red. He's, he's the young up-and-comer race car. And he ends up with a mentor, the one in blue, named Doc Hudson. Lightning and Doc start off their relationship by racing against each other. And as predicted, Lightning, being this new hot rod, starts off out in front. He's smart, he's confident, and then the road takes a turn and he goes flying straight off the track. Now, Doc comes along behind him with years of experience, takes the turn like a champ, wins the race. When the dust gets settled, Lightning looks to Doc to teach him how to take those turns. And he would go out and he would imitate what Doc did until he could get it right. When it comes to our faith, first and foremost, we want to seek to imitate Christ. That's why we went through the Sermon on the Mount last year, so we could see what Christ was doing, and then we could imitate him. But when you're just starting out, it's really hard to know exactly what that might look like. So we need to seek out others who are already imitating Christ and start imitating them. Now, as I mentioned to you last Sunday, Mary Connett died. She and Bud married 71 years. When you stand at the altar... And you say that you're in it for sickness and health and richer and poorer and better or worse. You want a mentor like the Connets. That's what you want. Because these two, these two were leaders in the church. And when you look at the outcome of their lives, their faithfulness to one another and to God, these are people that you want to mentor you in marriage. 
And that doesn't mean that they got it perfect all the time or that either one of them was perfect, but 71 years is longer than a good two-thirds of our congregation has even been alive. And folks, that's worth imitating. Christian mentoring comes from the heart of Jesus. He poured his life into 12 individuals to teach them his ways. And when they looked at the outcome of his life, there must have been some initial discouragement because it was hard and it was kind of bleak there at the end. But don't ever forget that they also witnessed a resurrection. And so they could imitate Christ all the way until the end, knowing that if they'd been baptized into his death, they were also raised to new life in his resurrection. A mentor is not always going to make it easy for you, at least not a good one. And they're not going to remove all of the obstacles from your path. A mentor is going to teach you how to navigate those obstacles and come out the other end victorious. Reverend Peg Ferguson was a female pastor. And even if I didn't admit it, she knew that I was one too. And so she came alongside of me and she laid out the road ahead. And that is a road where women, especially young ones, face challenges that their male counterparts never, ever dreamed of. She pointed out boulders of judgment, raging rivers of a calling where even the uniforms and tools of the trade weren't designed for people like me. And she demonstrated how to navigate what she called the righteous and holy dragons of the church who reserved grace for men alone. And that by being a follower of Christ, how to imitate his heart by forgiving those who were never going to give her or me a chance. She never promised me that I would be able to avoid any of these things. And I have to say, I'm glad she never made that promise. And because she was a female pastor, she was uniquely qualified to speak into my life in a way that a male pastor, no matter how wonderful and well-intentioned, could have ever done. She retired as one of the most beloved pastors in the history of that church. So it seems to me that the outcome of her life demonstrated the way that the way that she led and mentored me was well worth imitating. So this week's challenge to you is to choose, and if you've already chosen one, to evaluate your mentor, at least one. Who is ahead of you? And by ahead, I don't mean chronologically ahead. I just mean someone who is further down a path that you want to go than you are. And I want you to take a deep, hard look at their life and decide, is this something that you want to imitate? And then, when you've figured that out, go and meet up with them. Ask them very hard, very pointed questions. Hear their story. Decide if the person that you have perceived them to be has led to a life that is still worth imitating. That's when you're going to find out what kind of mentor they're going to be. Ask them 
to mentor you if you think it's a fit. Now, you can do that for business, for parenting, for retirement, but first and foremost, as disciples, seek out somebody who is imitating Christ, who is going to mentor you in your faith, because the one that follows Christ knows that no matter what else happens in this life, a thriving business, a failed relationship, an uncharted retirement, good, bad, or in between, for those who are mentored from the heart of God, there is resurrection coming. And that's exactly where you're going to want to be, and that's exactly who you're going to want to be mentored by. Let's pray together. God, show us the mentors. Help us find them. Not people that we just, from the outside, perceive to be good role models, but people that get in the down and dirty of life with us and show us and teach us and are kind and gracious but yet accountable with us to help us grow into something better that you have called us to be and laid out before us. Help us especially to seek those imitators of Christ that help us to grow in our faith and to be the people that you have called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.